0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 30th day of June. I'm your host, Paul White. Well, as is our custom, last day of the month, Essay Edition. You can find the print version of the Essay Edition at our website, paulwhiteministries.com. And every month, you can listen in as we read it to you. On the final day of the month, for the year 2023, we are journeying through the Gospel of Mark. The essay covers wherever we are in the text on that particular day. That happens to be the first several verses, first 10 or so verses, of the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So here it is for the month of June 2023, our essay edition. We have advanced much further into the Gospel of Mark this month compared to last month. From April to May, we made it from the beginning of chapter 9 to the end of the same chapter. But from May to June, we covered all of chapters 10 and 11. Though there were moments we might have gone a little faster than we should, I did it so that we could arrive at a parable for our essay, as these are some of my favorite moments in the ministry of Jesus. I love the healing stories and the entire Passion Week narrative, but there's something about the parables that really gets inside my spirit. These little stories are loaded with implications and possibilities and are best read with an open mind and an imaginative spirit. Jesus told them to a people who were unable to grasp the deeper things of the kingdom because they had not yet received the Spirit, which means that he knew his audience wouldn't fully comprehend them even as he was telling them. Well, that leaves us who have the Holy Spirit with an advantage they did not have, and gives us an even greater responsibility to read and understand. Many of the parables used the cultural illustrations of the day and of his primary audience. He told of farmers and fishermen, gardeners and vineyard workers, day laborers and shepherds. He spoke of traveling on dangerous roads, losing things that are valuable, and then finding them in the tumultuous relationships between fathers and sons. Our journey through the Gospel of Mark brings us to chapter 12 and the parable of the wicked vine dressers. But before we jump in, it's necessary to point out what Mark places just in front of the parable and to borrow from Matthew, another little parable that helps solidify a point. The end of Mark 11 tells of the chief priests, scribes and elders questioning Jesus as to the source of his authority. This is a narrative repeat for Mark As he had the crowd buzzing about the authority of Christ in chapter 1, showing that this authority has been a source of great contention among the religious leaders of Israel. The crowds are taken with Jesus, where many see him as a prophet sent from God. But this is a potential problem for the religious system. Remember that Jesus has just cleared the temple with a whip, knocking over the money changers' tables. This was an embarrassing moment for these leaders. And they now want to pin down his authority or lack thereof, so they can have reason to dismiss him. A task proving difficult to accomplish. Matthew tells of the authority question in chapter twenty-one, while Mark includes it in chapter eleven. They both tell of the parable of the wicked vine dressers, but Matthew squeezes another parable in between. His addition is simply a further answer to their authority question, meaning that the vine dressers parable may be the same thing. So let's start with that additional parable, often called the parable of the two sons from Matthew 21, verses 29 to 32. And let's do so considering the question of authority. The parable of the two sons goes something like this. A man has two sons and tells him to work in his fields. The first son refused, but he later reconsidered and went to work the field. The second son agreed to work but then never showed up. Jesus asked the audience, which of the sons did the will of the father? And of course, the crowd chose the first son. Jesus then uses this answer as an illustration that the tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom before his audience, adding this addendum. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Matthew 21, 32. Remember, this parable is given in response to their question about Jesus' authority. Jesus had flipped that question back to them by asking whether John the Baptist received his authority from heaven or from men. Now, they don't answer that question because they lose either way they go. So this parable of the two sons is Jesus' way of answering the question for them. He asks, which of them did the will of the Father? Now, what we need to ask ourselves is... What is the will of the Father? Jesus answers this for us in John 6, 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, though the parable deals with the doing, it has to because it's a practical story. The deeper meaning is that the will of the Father is not found in the doing, but in the believing. The point is not that you should do what you say you'll do. Though you indeed should, but that the answer the Father is looking for is faith, not works or promises. For whether the Son answered yes or no, or went to the field or not, all that they did was a commentary on the authority of their Father. They either disrespected the authority and they lied, or they respected the authority and changed their mind. Jesus' conclusion is that the harlots and tax collectors get into the kingdom sooner because they believe in the authority of Jesus. While the religious leaders do not. The two sons parable is an attempt to answer the authority question. Robert Ferrar Capon argues that the wicked vine dressers takes up the case of authority from the opposite point of view, namely from God's. Now, though Mark excludes the parable of the two sons, he places the question of authority just in front of the wicked vine dressers, which Matthew tells also, and as does Luke for that matter. So using both versions of the story, that'll give us more one more answer to the question of authority and how Jesus saw his own ministry. Isaiah 5-7 declares, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. Their identity was rooted, pardon the pun, in the vineyard analogy. When Jesus called himself the true vine in John 15... He was putting himself into the position that Israel had always held herself. He was the true fulfillment of prophecy. He was the actual vineyard. He was the replacement. The parable of the wicked vine dressers begins with a vineyard that was leased out to vine dressers while the owner went into a far country. With their backdrop of vineyard identity, The religious leaders know that Jesus is framing this story around Israel and her place in the world. Anything that comes after that must be either an indictment or a compliment to what they've already done with and in their vineyard. From here, the parable becomes pointed and obvious. The owner sends a servant to receive the harvest. And verse 3 says, They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another and they wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated. Again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others beating some and killing some. It seems like a retelling of the prophetic story. Prophets and judges arose. Israel wanted nothing to do with them. Some they imprisoned, some they beat, some they killed. All they rejected. The next step in the parable is an obvious one, and just as obviously, a setup. The owner sends his own son but the vine dressers kill him as well, thinking the inheritance will be theirs. Now, surely Jesus is not insinuating that they think they can inherit the kingdom by killing the son. But they do seem to think the owner is so far away that they can enjoy all they want of the spoils before the judgment falls on their heads. Those who had asked the question about authority are getting more than they bargained for. Now, it's important to remember that the leaders of Israel did very much believe in the coming judgment of God and the arrival of Messiah. But they saw the two events as happening simultaneously, and most certainly in their favor. The Messiah would lead the way of the judgment of God against the enemies of Israel. The most visible enemy at the time was the Roman Empire and even Caesar himself. And any judgment that was to come would be an attack against the authorities on behalf of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus' wicked vine dressers parable gives them something else to think about in terms of judgment. That it will be against them. The very reason that Peter declares the judgment to begin at the house of God. This was about as popular then as it would be for the modern Christian to hear that God is about to show up in America and clean house. And the house cleaning will be to reform his church. All of it. Left-wingers, right-wingers, Republicans, and Democrats... No one escapes. What do you think the owner will do to those tenants? Is the way the question is posed in the Matthew version of the story. And they answer exactly as they should. He will destroy them and give the vineyard to others who will give him his fruit in its season. Bingo. Jesus brings the religious leaders right up to the correct answer. Those who have failed to bring forth fruit are about to be replaced by those who will. Jesus then quotes Psalms 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Jesus is that stone, and they are the ones who have rejected him. Mark says in verse 12 that they knew he had spoken this parable against them. What we know, having journeyed through the authority question, and then this parable, is that they are the same. Jesus derives his authority from the far-off owner, and their rejection of him is their rejection of God. Matthew speaks of the rejected stone as the one that will crush whoever falls on it. Paul called Jesus the rock. And in 1 Corinthians 1, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Well, this implicates both Jew and Gentile. All the world falls over Jesus in their unbelief, refusing to accept his authority as the very likeness and image of God. Even today, Christians struggle with seeing Jesus as God, insistent that the God of Old Testament stories is an accurate depiction of God that needs revived in this godless hour. Sometimes when I hear people speak this way, I think that what they really want to say is they fear we're hearing too much about Jesus and not enough about God. I hope I'm wrong, or at least I hope I'm misunderstanding them. Jesus stands with us all but he also stands very much against our insistence on meeting him with something other than faith. He stands in our pain and our problems, but he will not stand idly by and watch us work our way to heaven or perform our way into favor. This Jesus does oppose, not people, but programs that exclude the simplicity of faith. As Matthew's version of the parable puts it, He will take the vineyard from those and give it to another nation who shows its fruits. Well, that's not in the future. That is right now. Those who believe in Jesus simply by faith are indeed a holy nation. And the vineyard is theirs. Believe your way in. Work your way out. Grace to you.